Hey everybody, welcome to the Fearlessly Authentic Podcast, episodes aimed at presenting truth in a fearlessly authentic way. By now you know I'm Jerry, and today's message is very interesting. What do you do when you have an opportunity to pay back someone that is wrong to you? Joseph had that opportunity with his brothers. Let's look at that message and see what lessons that you and I can apply in our lives today when we have an opportunity to get back at someone who has wronged us. Genesis chapter 42, we want you to kind of catch up with us in the story of Joseph. After all the things that he went through, we're not going to take time to go through all the things that he went through again, but all the things that he went through, being sold into slavery and sold to Potiphar and being accused of adultery and being put in prison and being forgotten in prison, then finally being brought to the point where he interprets the dream of the Pharaoh. He's promoted to second in, in line of all of Egypt, and he is about to put through this wonderful program that he's about to... Uh, that he told through the dream of, to, Joseph, to, to uh, Pharaoh about what Joseph would do to save Egypt from uh, all kinds of famine. Seven years of, of being uh, uh, studious and being uh, uh, judicious with their grain and, and taking the excess and saving it up so that when the seven years of famine would come, they would be able to give it out. Well, now we come to Genesis 42, and we are at that point when the famine has struck. Look at, look at verse 1 there. Look at verse 1. It says here in Genesis chapter 42... In verse 1, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look upon one another? So the camera switches from Egypt back to Canaan, back to where everything's been just sort of going on without Joseph. And then in verse 2, Jacob says, Behold, I've heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy from us, for us, from thence, that we might live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob, sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest pre-adventure, misadventure, fall, befall him. Joseph's about to meet his brothers. The last time they met, it didn't go well. For over 20-some years now, Joseph has been thinking about this time that, that he might someday meet his brothers again. Whether or not his brothers ever thought they'd meet him again, I don't know, but the time's coming. So I want to ask you this question. I want to preach you a message that I call Payback payback. Are you the kind of person who keeps a little list? Do you remember what would what do you remember what would be better off forgetting? When someone has done you wrong, do you allow the spirit of God to erase that offense or do you cling to a grudge secretly and add that name to your list and wait for the choice opportunity to attack? How, how do you handle that? These were the questions that Joseph faced and he answered them correctly. Now today's message can be taken from two different perspectives. It's I had a hard time figuring out how to present this, and so I'm going to present it in two different ways. You see, today's message can be taken from the perspective of the person uh, that uh, uh, is that you place yourself in the position of Joseph as the person who's been wronged. Probably we could all raise our hands and say we probably could think of someone who has wronged us, and we could be in that position. The second perspective of this message is that you place yourself in the position of the one who has done the wrong or is doing the wrong. Now, more often than not, honestly, in church, we'll take the first position. We were the one. We've been, we've been done wrong. And that's fine. Just pay attention to the end of the message if that's where you're going to put yourself. If you're going to put the, your, your, yourself in the position of Joseph, just pay attention to the end of the message. There's something there for you. But for those of you who are brave enough to maybe think about being in the second position, and many of us won't go there, and the reason that many of us won't go there is because our conscience is so seared that we don't even think we've done anything wrong or... We've so repressed and justified our actions, we actually think that we're right in what we did. And Joseph shows incredible courage and, 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 and restraint in dealing with his brothers here. But how does he choose not to pay them back? 
I am the number two man in the country. Nobody even lifts their head unless I say so. How does that take place? And he doesn't get revenge. His choice to follow biblical principles regardless of emotions or situation is remarkable. And here's what I want to challenge you with this. Scripture enables us to see things as God sees them, which in turn clarifies what we should do. How does he not pay them back? Because Scripture enables us to see things as God sees them, and in turn clarifies what we should do in light of what our emotions want to tell us to do. Now in verses 1 through 4, which I just read to you, Jacob is now an elderly father, and his sons, most of them in their middle age, are, are in their middle age with families, and their, their families are on the, on the verge of starvation. Jacob is, as, as a typical old man, just looks at his boys and says, why are you looking at one another? Do something. You know, as you get older, you tend to lose your filter. You, you notice that, you know? As you get older, you tend to lose, you know, all of your tact and you just, you know, what you used to would say, well, you know, I kind of want to talk to you about this. Now you just go, hey, you're stupid. As you get older, you kind of get, you know, you lose your filter. I don't know if it's just you're losing your mind or you just don't care. I don't know what it is. But we tend to lose our filter. And Jacob had lost his filter a long time ago. And he just says, why, why are you looking at one another? Get down. There's, there's grain down in Egypt. Why aren't you going down there? But you can't take Benjamin. Because remember the last time, I'm not going to lose two. Jacob still remembers. The brothers knew nothing about what happened to Joseph. They probably were out of sight, out of mind. All they knew is they needed some food. Joseph probably knew nothing about his family. Probably wondered at time if his fathers were still alive. Uh, but with his responsibilities of building the grain units and, and collecting the grain and now distributing it, he was just so busy. He had two boys, a wife, and he just, he, he's moved on. Go to verse 5. The sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came from the famine were in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Can you just imagine that situation? Here you are, you're in charge of everything. And here come these ten guys. And you know who they are, but they don't know who you are. It says, uh, and Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them, but he made himself strange unto them. It's an interesting old English way of saying that he just hid himself. He disguised himself. He just made sure that all his makeup was right. He made sure that his headdress was right. And he knew that they wouldn't understand who he was. He was tanned. They were not. But he, but he, but he, 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 he made him strange unto them and spake roughly unto them. And he said, Whence come ye? Now, he, he didn't say it to them. He spoke in Egyptian. And then he had an interpreter. Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. Interesting. From the brothers' from the brothers' perspective, they must have been overwhelmed when they walked into Egypt. I mean, I mean, they're coming from the country. You know what I mean? The country. Country. We sleep in tents and with our goats. That's the country that they were. We, we're, 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 we're shepherds. We, we deal with the country. And now they're in Egypt. And you can imagine the, the, how overwhelmed, standing before the prime minister, the strange surroundings, having no clue that it was their brother who was standing right before them. And from Joseph's perspective, he probably was exhausted. The seven years of building those granaries, the planning and rationing of the years of plenty, now dispensing the grain with prudence, equity, and wisdom, and every day facing his own people and thousands of foreigners. But now he recognized his brothers when his brothers didn't recognize him. So not only do we have the, the scene, we have the encounter, we have the exchange here in verse 7 again. He saw his brother and he knew him, then he, he made himself strange to them, spake roughly unto them, and he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said to them, Ye are spies to come see the nakedness of the land. Ye are come. 
He suddenly remembers, as he sees his brothers, he suddenly remembers those dreams he had decades ago. Remember those dreams way back there? Genesis 37? The sheaves of wheat bowing before his sheave, and the sun, moon, and stars, 11 stars all bowing before him. How tempting it must have been for him to reveal himself and to say, I told you so. I told you way back when. You thought I was a dreamer. You called me, look at the little dreamer coming. Look at the little daddy's boy. Oh, you think we're going to bow? You even got dad to go against me. Now I'm in charge. I'm, I'm in charge. I mean, that's how we would do it. Come on. Honesty in church. Dreams for which he was mocked, hated, and actually sold into slavery. To reveal himself says, I told you so. But Joseph had another idea. He needed to buy some time to see if his brothers had changed. See if they had found peace yet. He had found peace. He was more concerned about his brothers at this point than he was about getting revenge. There's, there's a key point there. Are you more concerned about the person who has offended you than getting revenge? Look at verse 10. We see the accusation. They said to him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are the servants come. We are all one man's son. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said to them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land are you come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is, is this day with our father, and one is not. That had to hurt. Positive and negative in the same statement. There's a lot of emotions going on with Joseph at this point. He knows his father and his little brother are still alive. But they acknowledge that he's dead. That's how they think of him. They think of him as nothing more than dead. And Joseph said to them, That is it that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby shall ye be proved. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. So he accuses them of being spies, and in their response they consider him as one who is no more, but they tell him that his father's alive and that, that, that his brother Benjamin is there. So then comes the proposal. Look at verse 16. Send one of you and let him fetch your brother, and he shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put them all together in ward, or understand that ward means dungeon, for three days. Put them in three days for them to, to let, let the, the situation reveal what they are and how they've changed. First, he says, send one back and bring your brother, then leave one and bring back your brother. And in between these proposals, he puts them for three, three days in the dungeon. Joseph is in complete control of his brother's destiny. They had wronged him, they had killed him, they had sold him as a slave. Their conscience had been seared by their hatred and their selfishness to treat their brother their way. Joseph's actions at this point could either make or break the future of these men. And that's a lot of power. What would you do if you had that power? What would you do if you were in Joseph's shoes? What would you do if I said to you, do you keep a little list and that person came back to your mind or that person who's wronged you and never made it right and actually walks around like everything's okay? What would you do if you were put in the position where now you, they didn't know who you were, you knew who they were and you could, you could exact judgment or give grace? What would you do? For many of us, we'd choose judgment. We might say, well, it won't be so bad, but they're gonna, they have to pay for something here. They can't just get away with this. They're going to pay a little bit. I'm going to have some fun with this. That's what we would do. Joseph's response to this opportunity would make or break his brothers, as we said, and he looks and listens to see if there's any awakening of their conscience. That's what he's trying to figure out. But what would that look like? How would Joseph know? How would we know if there's any awakening of the conscience? How would we know that someone with a seared conscience was actually coming around? Those of us who at the beginning of this sermon put ourselves in position or perspective number one of the one who has been wronged, how would we know if there's any awakening of the conscience? I think what we see in this text is we see a little bit of how we know that a seared conscience is being awakened. You would agree with me that the brother's conscience were seared, wouldn't you? They had come to a point where they just they didn't care about God, they didn't care about anyone else, they only cared about themselves, they'd even sell their brother. So how would we know? 
What does it look like? What is the process? Look at verse 21. Well, verse 18, Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If there be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. Now, why did he want the youngest brother? I don't know why he wanted the youngest brother. Maybe he wanted to test him. Maybe he wanted to figure it out. Maybe he wanted to get his youngest brother safe. I don't know. We don't know why. But he changed, changed the rules. He says, okay, now, instead of just sending one, now all of you can go, but you've got to leave one. And then we see the conscience starts. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Reuben answered him, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself about from them, and wept, and returned to them again, and communed with them, and took from them Simeon, and bound, them before, bound him before their eyes. So, Joseph comes back to them, and he says, Okay, I've changed my mind. Not just one, you all can go except one. But you need to bring your younger brother back. If you bring your younger brother back, then I'll know you're not spies, and you're good to go, and you can live. If you don't bring him back, this guy's going to die. It's your choice. So at that point, they kind of huddle up. See, what they say here was not addressed to Joseph. What they say here in this but was something that they addressed to themselves. They didn't think Joseph understood his language because he's been speaking through an interpreter. But Joseph's sitting there, and he's listening. I always thought that would be great to, have, to know another language and be able to listen to what people are saying when they're talking about you, and then turn around and speak to him back in their other language, I think that would be classic. Classic. And I've heard stories of people who have done that, and, and I think that's just remarkable. So you've got to be careful. But so they start to speak, and they start to say things there, and they start to say, we're, we're guilty, and, and, and when we saw the anguish of, our, of his soul, when, when he besought us, and, and we would not hear, therefore, in, therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben starts to play the blame game. See, I told you guys, I told you guys, I told you, don't touch the kid. Now his blood is going to be required upon us. First sign of awakened conscience is being revealed to us here is that a person starts owning up for what they've done wrong. If you're not willing to own up what you've done wrong, your conscience is still seared. You're, you're trying to figure out if this person is someone who is, 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 is someone that you can maybe uh, extend that grace in a way to try and find a, a reconciliation. Uh, one of the things you're looking for is, are, are they willing to own up for what they've done wrong? Now, notice, notice how they did this, okay? It's, it's important to understand this. Notice the pronoun we that is used here. Because in the Hebrew language, the, when the word we is used here, it's used in an, what we call an emphatic position. So it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, we did it. It's like, we, it's us, nobody else, nobody else. They didn't blame their father for being passive. They didn't blame their brother for being proud and, and favored. They didn't say that they were too young to know any better. They simply said, we are responsible. There's no one else to blame. If you are one of those persons who put yourself in the second category that maybe your conscience is seared, uh, you need to start owning up for what you've done wrong. If you're a believer, you know that the Spirit is still trying to work through that hardened shell of a conscience that you have, and you have to come to a point where you're willing to say, I am wrong. It was me who did this. It wasn't this person. It wasn't her fault. It wasn't, well, I did it because you did this or he did this. It's that I have done it. I am guilty. I am responsible. And that's and those of you who have been wrong, that's what you're looking for in someone who is awakening from a seared conscience. They're feeling the distress that Joseph felt. If you see the text there in verse 21, it uses, therefore, is this distress come upon us. The word distress means to bind, to restrict, 
to cramp or to tie up, but in this context is used emotionally. That emotionally, they're starting to feel the very thing that they did to Joseph at this point. They are starting to get a point maybe for the first time in their lives where they realized what Joseph was going through when he was in the pit and they bound him and they sold him to the slavery because here they were in front of, uh, front of Pharaoh's representative, his prime minister, and he's tra- treating him as spies. He's already put him in jail for three days. He's threatening to kill them and they're starting to feel that same distress. When you've done wrong to someone and haven't gone through the necessary process to make things right with them and with God, you become the victim of the very distress that you're putting the person through. It's funny how God brings that right back around and you start to feel the very same things 20 years later and they still feel this distress. When I was a kid in high school, we had to do literature in English. I didn't love it too much. We had to read Edgar Allan Poe. That's a brilliant, wonderful, positive guy, right? We had to read this short story called The Telltale Heart. Telltale Heart is about a guy who kills someone and buries him in his basement, and he's upstairs all the time, and he, he just he, he keeps on hearing this heart. He can't sleep at night because he hears And that, there's no heart beating. He's just talking about the conscience is so, the guilt of his conscience is so great that it, it, it causes him to just admit that he's done it. I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who did it. It's just a really weird type of thing that you would have kids read that in high school. But it's so true to our conscience, isn't it? There are times if you have, even with a seared conscience, that you have trouble sleeping because of the things that you know that you have done that you haven't gotten right with that person or gotten right with God. Oh, I can't, I'm having trouble sleeping. Oh, really? Are you sick? No. You working? Yeah, but nothing any particular. Well, what's going on in your mind? Well, you know, I don't know. You know! You just don't want to tell anybody. It's that telltale heart that's beating. And that's what's going on with these guys. Time doesn't erase distress. That's the thing. Well, I, you know what? Maybe if I just let this go, time, time will never erase this distress. It's been 20-some years now, and these guys still feel that same distress of what happened when they did that to Joseph. And we know from experience the inescapable reminders of guilt. The entanglements that are brought upon us, the consequences of our own sin, can even make us physically sick. So, well, I don't know about that. Well, the psalmist said it in Psalm 32. David said this in Psalm 32 and verse 3. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old, throw my roaring all the day. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned from the drought of the summer. So we see here that the first sign of awakening conscience is the fact that they are owning up for what they have done wrong. What's the second one? What's the second one? Look at verse 25. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money unto his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them... They laded their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn, he espied his money, for behold, it was in the sack's mouth. It's my shortest point, but it's pretty interesting. It's this one. Uh, the second sign of awakening conscience is being the recipient of undeserved expressions of grace. A conscience can be awakened, a seared conscience, when they become the recipient of undeserved expressions of grace. Am I telling you to do it? Not necessarily telling you to do it yet, but what I'm telling you is that if you're here with that seared conscience, are you fighting the awakening of it when you're feeling these undeserved expressions of grace coming upon you? They, they left there, and I'm sure they hightailed, hightailed it out of town, right? I mean, how long are you going to stay there? I mean, Simeon had to stay, but you know, hey, if one has to go for the many, then maybe it, I'm glad it's not me. You know, that might be in their, their policy at that point. But they get to the inn, and they stop there, and they go to get some food for their donkeys, and they go to there, and they see that all of their money was restored to them. Joseph's brothers didn't even deserve grain. Get that, okay? They, they deserved no money. They deserved punishment, possibly even imprisonment for what they had done to Joseph. Bottom line, no doubt about it. 
They deserve to be punished, and they may even deserve to be in prison. They didn't deserve grain. They deserved the ward. They didn't deserve their money. They deserved to be put in prison for a long time for doing what they did. But instead, they wound up with freedom, the full sack of grain, and all their money returned because Joseph decided to give them an undeserved expression of grace, and it freaked them out. Undeserved expressions of grace can awaken a seared conscience like something sometimes no other action can do. And here's the response that you will hear from someone with a seared conscience when you give them an undeserved expression of grace. Why would you do this for me? Why would you do that for me? After all I've done to you, why would you do this for me? It blows their little pee-picking minds. Undeserved expressions of grace are hard to give, especially to those who have wronged you. Joseph learned a great lesson, and he is teaching us some amazing ways in which we can practice this when we face those who have wronged us. I hope you come back for part two on our next podcast, and I also hope that you will be sharing this with others on your social media. Thanks for listening today, and we'll see you next time here on Fearlessly Authentic.